Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So I bought this toaster, a friend says to you, and it is amazing. I bought this toaster. I just plugged it into the wall, pressed the button down, a fresh or frozen piece of toast either way, and then what you get at the end is this beautiful, crunchy piece of toast. Nice and hot. You can melt butter on it. You can put jam. You can put Vegemite. You can put avocado. It's amazing. It's the best thing since sliced bread. You have to buy a toaster. Did you see what I did there? Did you like that? Okay, good. It just came, just came to me in the moment. Anyway, You have to buy a toaster. It is the best thing ever. So you think, oh, maybe I would love a toaster. I'm going to read up about this toaster. And so you read into what toasters are like and you go and look at them in the different shops and you compare prices and then you decide, yes, I'm going to get me a toaster. Sounds amazing. So you buy your toaster from the shop, you bring it home, you plug it in, you press the button down and you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And then you think, what? Toasters don't work. This toaster does not work. My bread is still frozen or fresh, but definitely not hot. No butter would melt on this piece of bread. This toaster does not work. My friend was either lying to me or they've gone crazy. I don't know what they're going on about, but toasters do not work. Now, we know what the problem is, right? Haven't switched on at the wall. Always the problem with toasters. Haven't switched it on at the wall. But I'd be thinking, this is such a bad decision. I've wasted my money. My friend's an idiot. I don't want to be their friend anymore. Even worse, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my toaster that it's not working the way that it's supposed to work, the way that everybody else's toasters seem to work? And sometimes it's a bit like that with the Christian faith, isn't it? Can feel a bit like that. We see other people having these amazing experiences with God, telling us their stories about what their experience with God is like, powerful, dynamic, warm, And then we think, why is my experience of God like that? Not like that. What's wrong with me? Why is my toaster not working the way that everybody else says their toaster works? Well, we're going to look at these questions today through looking at this prayer that the Apostle Paul in the Bible prayed for the Christian people in Ephesus, who we call the Ephesians, in this book called Ephesians. And we're going to look at how an experience of God can be powerful and dynamic instead of cold and static, and how we can see a cold and static experience of God, of Christianity, transform into a, a dynamic, um, into a dynamic one. In other words, how can we switch the power on in our lives when it comes to our experience of God? Well, as the Apostle Paul shows us in this passage today, we pray. We pray. The prayer that we're looking at today, this magnificent prayer, is prayed in order that the Ephesian Christians who Paul is praying for might have a powerful and dynamic experience of who God is. Paul knows what it is to have a dynamic experience of prayer and he knows that you have a dynamic experience of God and he knows that you have to pray for it, that, that, in order to, that praying for it is to call on the power of God in your life. And so his prayer for a dynamic experience of God is this. This is my paraphrase of this prayer. That the Ephesians may grow up into their limitless potential to be filled with the love of Christ. That his love may spill out of their lives 
in immeasurable and unimaginable ways. Sounds like a pretty dynamic experience of God, hey? That's what he prays for. And what we're going to do this morning is drill down into this prayer and draw out just three things that characterise uh, what uh, characterise the kind of experience of God that this prayer can unlock in your life. Ready? Number one. Number one, what, what characterises this kind of experience of God that this prayer unlocks in your life? Firstly, God wants to come close to you. You individually, not everyone else. You. Have a look at verses 14 to 17. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul here is praying for ordinary Christians, the ordinary Christians in Ephesus, And to be clear, these people who are Christians, God has declared them to be not guilty before them. And to be a Christian is to already be filled with his Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit living within them as their counsellor, as their guide, as their teacher. So why is Paul praying that they might be filled with Christ if they already are? He's not praying for people who aren't Christians yet. He's praying for the Christians there. The reason for this is that believing in Jesus which is the Ephesian Christians, isn't the end of Christianity. It's the beginning. It's the first step. As Charles Hodge put it, the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. None of us have ever plumbed the depths of the love of Christ or the the infilling of the Holy Spirit. All Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, but um, it's also something that we grow into, as, as one writer puts it, as Jesus takes stronger and fuller possession of every corner of your life. He moves us deeper and he fills us more and he grows us up into his fullness and into our limitless capacity to be filled with his love in every corner of our lives. This prayer is about Christ settling down and making himself at home in the centermost parts of our lives, not as a guest or a visitor, but as, as his home as his permanent dwelling place. This isn't God, Jesus, just living, taking up residence anywhere in in us, in ourselves, but in our innermost being, in our hearts, in the very centre of who we are, in the very centre of every aspect of our lives, our home life, our work life, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, in the centre of every part of who we are. Fun fact for the day, this is the only place in the Bible that it talks about Jesus coming to live in your heart. You, know, you often hear about, oh, I invited God into my heart. This is the only place in the Bible that it talks about that. And why I point that out is, it's, why I point that out is because that means that this is unusual language for the Apostle Paul to be using here, which means he's trying to make a particular point. The point he's trying to make is that a, d- a dynamic experience of God can't happen when he's just living on the outskirts of your life. <laughs> when he's just on the periphery of your life, when you don't engage him at the centre of who you are, when you've got him living in the granny flat instead of in the main house. You can't expect to have a dynamic experience of who God is, the PowerPoint switched on, when you've got him living in the granny flat of your life. He wants his strength and his power to permeate every part of who you are, the very depth of your being, to go deeper, to make you stronger, to increase in his power within you to be the directing factor in your mind and your will and your affections and your heart. 
We've got to let him into the main house, the centre of the main house. Now, like us, the Ephesians lived in a culture uh, where theirs was not the dominant faith. They were, um, they were on the outskirts. They were a marginal uh, people like we are. True Christianity is, is marginal now in Sydney, in our culture. Uh, and notice what Paul doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for blessing. He doesn't pray for a change in their circumstances. He doesn't pray that Christianity might take over the city. Why? Any thoughts? It's because he knows that what they need most is a dynamic experience of God, namely to grow up in their limitless capacity to be filled with the love of Jesus. That's what they need most in the context in which they lived. Why is that? It's because life is hard and we need to be strengthened and this is how we are strengthened. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, it's beautiful. What prayer does, as it were, is to fill the lungs of the soul with the oxygen of the Holy Spirit and his power. If you want to stand on your feet and not to falter, fill yourself with the life of God. And he goes on, put the center right. This is inviting Jesus to live in the main house, not in the granny flat. Put the center right and the rest will look after itself. Put the source right and you need not worry much about the strains and stresses. The trouble is generally in the source. So we have to go back to the beginning. When we are strengthened internally, we can resist, we can persevere, we can be resilient. We can endure external circumstances if we get the strength of God right in our inmost being. Is that making some sense? I moved apartments at the beginning of this year and, um, and I'm blessed enough to have a spare room so I have people to come and stay every now and then. Uh, that is very different to having a boarder, say, who might come to stay with me for a few months. Different still to having a permanent flatmate live with me. Different still, I imagine, if I were to live with my landlord. You see, there's different levels as which, at which people can, you can share a space with somebody. In the same way, there are different degrees to which Jesus can, can live with you or be in your heart, different degrees to which uh, he's in your sense of self with you. You know, he's a gentleman though. Jesus doesn't bash down the door and just like charge his way in deeper and deeper into yourself. He, he, he makes himself known, but he waits to be welcomed. He waits for you to open the door to him. He's a gentleman. And this prayer is the mechanism of faith through which we open the door for God to come into the center of our lives as landlord. He wants to be landlord. To sit in the driver's seat of our lives. He comes in to strengthen us, not to hurt us, not to control and dominate us, but to love and serve us and direct our lives. I need to ask you this morning, are you satisfied with the extent to which you have invited God into your life. Are you satisfied? There's always more, more beauty, more majesty, more glory, more love. Are you satisfied with where you're at? Have you stopped pressing in? Have you stopped inviting him deeper? Do you think you've made it? Do you think there's no way he'd want to know you more closely? Are there parts of your life that you've closed off to him because you're too ashamed? You think they're not good enough for him? There's no part of your life that he doesn't want to love. He sees you as you are. He knows you as you are. And he's not put off. When he sees parts of you, he moves towards you, not away from you. We saw that with the prodigal son the other week. 
Is he close enough to your inner being? And are you surrendered enough to him for him to be able to strengthen you? Sometimes we keep walls up and wonder why we're not experiencing God. Sometimes we hold, sometimes we hold on to the reins of our lives and wonder why we're not experiencing God. I love this again from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, this is Christianity. Do not be content with the mere fact that you believe in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that you're a church member. Press on, give yourself neither rest nor peace. Offer this prayer for yourself, the whole of it, and go on doing so until you know something of this blessed satisfaction and have realized something of its fullness. Do not think of this as some kind of substance, as an it do not think of it in terms of analogies such as pouring a liquid from a jug into a vessel. This is personal. It's God. Christ dwelling within. Concentrate on the person, therefore. Go to the person himself. Act on your faith and speak to him. Tell him your wants and needs. Wait upon him. Spend your time with him. He will give you of his fullness. So what kind of experience of God can this prayer unlock in your life? Well, firstly, God wants to come right up close as Lord to strengthen you in the depths of who you are so that you might be a person of resilience and strength in all the parts of your life. Secondly, closer equals deeper equals stronger. The closer God comes to you, the more deep we go with him and the stronger we are made. Verses 17 to 19, have a look. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's mind-blowing. This is the prayer of what it can look like for us to experience God. This is what this prayer can unlock in your life. So what does it look like for us when God comes close, when we surrender to him, when we let him take up residence in the main house and control of the main house? Because God is love, as the scriptures teach us, the effect is that we have this profound, deep, life-changing experience of being loved. And the closer we let God come, the more deeper we have that experience, the more parts of our life get to experience being loved and known by him. That's a good thing. That's a, it's a scary thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's this experience of love that makes us strong. We can see this in the imagery that Paul uses here. So he's mixing his metaphors, both agricultural metaphors and building metaphors. He talks about being rooted and established in love, rooted like, an, like a beautiful big oak tree with roots that go right down deep, expansive roots into the earth, grabbing hold of rocks and drawing up nutrients, expansive root structure to keep it strong and permanent and stable. And established like a building with deep foundations. The taller the building, the deeper the foundations need to go, right? He's mixing his metaphors there. Both of them give the idea, both these metaphors, of permanence and stability. That's what's given to us as we ground ourselves in God. 
The effect on us is that we are made strong. There's a permanence and stability to our lives. The stability, as you'll see, for both the tree and the building is beneath the surface. And for us, the stability that can come to us through an experience of God is the beneath the surface heart experience of being loved by God. This expansive love of God and experience of it, it keeps us stable and strong. We need to experience his love beneath the surface of our hearts, letting him come close, living in the main house, meeting him with our hearts, where God wants to dwell. He doesn't just want our minds to know about his love. This is important to grasp. He wants us to experience it with his heart. Is love there just to be dissected and analysed? Would anybody say that about other, other types of love? No, love is to be experienced. It's to change you. It's to make you stronger, to help you lift your head high and know that you're important. It's to be experienced. You don't get all of that just by analysing and dissecting love. We need to experience it in the centre of who we are, which can only happen as we let God come close and we surrender and relinquish ourselves to him, trusting that he's good and loving. You know, this love is for you and it is limitless. It's expansive. There's no end of being able to explore it and what it means for all the different parts of your life. I love what John Stott says. He says this, It seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt him to heaven. That's this love we get to spend our lives exploring. Lloyd-Jones again, God is inexhaustible. His love is eternal. His mercies are endless. His love is a never-ebbing sea. But oh, the joy and the wonder and the marvel of knowing this love of Christ which passeth knowledge. It's an experience we have as we let God come close, as we surrender our lives to him. It's not something that can be analysed and dissected only or should only be analysed and dissected. I'm not saying switch off your brain. Thinking is important. But we need to have both. Benjamin Franklin once said, if passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. (laughs) We need both. This is what we can encounter when we let God come close to our lives and strengthen us. Imagine for a moment for me that you're at the beach and you're in the ocean. Now, by in the ocean, I mean ankle deep in the ocean. (laughs) You're one of those people who maybe just edges in little bit by little bit because it's cold. And then imagine for me a little bit later, you are knee deep in the ocean. You're still in the ocean. And then a bit later, maybe you are waist deep in the ocean. Still in the ocean, but it's a different experience. It's, it's a, deeper, um, a deeper experience of the ocean. Then you might be shoulder deep in the ocean. Still got your feet on the ground. And then you might decide, okay, I'm going to go with this. A bit scary, but I'm going to take my feet off, uh, off the seabed and I'm going to swim in the ocean. Different again, right? Then you might be swimming off a, off a, off a yacht in the ocean. Very different again. There's no sand to stand on. Then still there are other different experiences of the ocean. You might be on a cruise liner in the middle of the ocean. You could be in a submarine. How could we ever explore all the different experiences and all the depths of the ocean and its expansiveness and all that it has to offer in a lifetime, in a hundred thousand lifetimes? It's a bit like that with the love of Christ. 
He comes to dwell in us, all Christians, everybody who's accepted Jesus, believe in him. We all have the Holy Spirit within us, but it's a thing of degrees. The more you're willing to give yourself to him and wade into his love and surrender yourself, take your feet off the bottom of the ocean, the more deeper and richer experience you will have of him. Is that making some sense? So how do we access this? What does this look like for us uh, to use this resource, to, to, to allow him to strengthen us, not to use him, but, but to, to take hold of that which he promises us and that which is available to us? And the first thing you need to realise is that the place that, we often, the place that we often get stuck is that only one thing can be central to your life. And I wonder for some of us this morning whether something else is central to your life other than God and you're blaming God for not giving you the experience that you want of him. But you can only have that experience once you, want him, once you allow him to be central to your life, which means something else needs to be dislodged. It's like a valve in your, your, pow, your power source is plugging into something else. So how can the power source to God be switched on when you're plugged in elsewhere? God can't come right to the centre if something else is already in the centre. So I need to ask you, what do you need to dethrone today? What do you need to move out of the centre of your life in order that God can come in there? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it work? Is it family? All good things. But God is the greatest. He's the one that makes sense of everything else. He orders all our other loves appropriately when he is our first love. And secondly, you have to be willing to give God access to your heart and not just your mind. If you want to truly experience him, experience what the Apostle Paul is praying for. You know, we try to control things by trying to wrap our minds around them, don't we? It's called anxiety. We try to wrap our minds around everything and try to control things. We think, if I can just get this thing figured out, if I can just understand all the different ways that this thing could go, if I can just map out all the different possible courses of action, then I'll feel like I've got some control over this situation. Can we do that with the love of God? There are certain things we can say about the love of God, but, to, but an experience, that's at the heart level. That's at the spirit level. R.C. Sproul said that the love of God goes beyond the head and comes into the heart. That's where it's experienced fully. It's both and. When God comes and takes up residence in the main house, in the centre of who you are, when he strengthens you, when you are more and more filled by his limitless love, out of that fullness, he does powerful things through our lives. We get to participate with this limitless God because we're full of him. There's a beautiful unity between him and us. And so what kind of experience of God does this prayer unlock in your life? He wants to come right to the center so you'd be strengthened by his limitless love and from there spill out in, in limitless, immeasurable and unimaginable ways. It's not just us who gets to benefit, it's all those around you. And so number three, God can do immeasurable things through us. This is part of the experience of God. 
Verses 20 to 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, which elsewhere it says is the, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Just as an aside. To him be the glory in the church and in, Jesus, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This letter to the Ephesians was written to, to this group of people, um, which means it's not primarily directed individually. It has individual implications for us. God wants to be central to our lives individually. He wants to strengthen us individually, but he also wants to do that corporately. He wants to sit at the center of his church, strengthening his church, making her beautiful, making her glorious so that she would reflect his beauty to the watching world, both physical and spiritual. Amazingly, the centre of God's glory is his church. That's us. Isn't that amazing? That God would take just this everyday bunch of people and make us the centre of his glory, the reflection of all that he is to a watching world. We've heard some awful stories in the news this week, right, about the ways that the church has failed to defend victims of domestic violence. You guys been reading that? Yeah, and we have to say we're so sorry for that. It's been awful the ways that the, that the church has failed to be the glory of God, to reflect the beauty and the justice that, that we are designed to reflect, that we are designed to embody, that we ought to embody, that we can embody if we let our God dwell in the centre of who we are and his love spill out through our lives. He will do immeasurable and beautiful things through us as we stand for justice together and as we stand for beauty and restoration together. Somehow God persists with his church. He loves us so much. He persists. He's determined that we should be a place of refuge, that we should be a place of justice, of beauty, of grace, of truth, of mercy, of restoration and reconciliation. That's who we are and that's who we can be in him as he dwells in us richly. We can be incomparable as we reflect the love of God to the world around us. It's the spirit of Jesus who lives in us. You know, if someone were to say to you, you now have the spirit of Michael Jordan living in you, what would you expect to be able to do? Yeah. You have the spirit of Jesus living in you. The almighty God, the fullness of God himself. That means that we as his body on earth today have a mandate to bring justice and healing and reconciliation and truth and mercy and beauty to the world around us. To be beacons of hope and joy and light and love, the fullness of God spilling out through us into the world around us. It desperately needs these things, right? You don't have to look very far to see the desperate need for the living God through us in the world. We have the power to do those things because of the one who lives in us. To see healing, to see restoration. I could go on and on. So many things. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. That's why I could go on and on. It's immeasurable. The things that God might do through us. Many of you here today were part of Northside when three churches came together over 30 years ago. Did you imagine that this is what we could look like today, over 30 years later, 
what God might be doing in our midst. Do you think William Wilberforce had any idea what God might do through him historically to change what slavery looked like in the world? When he gave himself and surrendered himself to God's purposes. Do you think Jesus' early followers would ever have imagined this global, rapid, spontaneous expansion of Christianity throughout the whole world to bring hope and healing to all the nations? To restore people to God, to set things right as God intended them to be. There is no imagining what God might do through your life and through our life corporately. If you want to experience God this morning, would you let him come close to you? Would you take your feet off the bottom of the ocean and experience him? Not try to control it with your mind. Although don't stop thinking. <laughs> would you dethrone whatever else is at the centre of your life? And would you surrender your life to his purposes for him to live through you? Our world needs you. It needs that. What kind of experience of God would that be? Does that sound static? Does that sound cold? Does it sound like a toaster with the PowerPoint off, waiting, waiting, waiting for the toast to cook? No, it's dynamic, it's exciting, it's adventurous, it's fun, it's scary, it's dangerous. It's what we're made for, it's who we are. Do you want to be part of that? Do you want that kind of experience for your life? We need to pray for this kind of experience because following Jesus is really hard. As I heard someone say recently, it's really hard. We need to pray that God would give us the power to experience him in this way. And prayer is the mechanism of faith that unlocks the power of God's presence in our lives and lets him deeper into our hearts and lets him transform us and spill out through us so that, other, so that the world might experience what he's like. We need to pray that we'd let him in, that we'd let him change us, that we'd let him work through us. We can't just coast on and expect it to happen and then complain that God's not there if we don't experience him. Prayer is, prayer is flicking on the PowerPoint for the toaster. It unlocks the valve on each side of our lives, on one side for God to come in, on the other side, for him to transform us and from the other side for him to flow out that others might experience what he's like. That's not static. That's dynamic. He flows through us. If you've got both those valves closed, it's a pretty static experience of God. And all you're in for is stagnation. I particularly want to ask those of you this morning who feel challenged that there's something else at the centre of your life, that, you, that the PowerPoint is plugged into a different power source. Would you do some business with God on that? Would you ask him to reveal what it is? Would you turn around and decide to unplug from that power source, as scary as that might be, and plug into God and switch the PowerPoint on to choose for him to be central rather than something else? Would you turn to him today and ask him to come closer, to fill you more deeply and to work through you? He loves you with a limitless, inexhaustible love, which caused this uh, anonymous poet to write this. Could we, the ink, could we with ink the oceans fill? 
And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.